this morning. Thank you for the blessing that it is that we can gather and um, sing to you, hear about you, and um, show you our love. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds, um, our ears to hear from this word. Please make you glory in Jesus' name. Well, um, I was really uh, wrapped that Chris invited um, me back to here to uh, speak to you. On your behalf, actually, um, Mick, I wonder. Uh, I wonder. Actually, when I was here the other week or a few weeks back, I thought I might have done an alright job. But it's possible that I didn't, and I'm back here, so you look really good when you start. So you know, I don't know. You, you'll have to. You'll have to see. There's um. There's a verse in There's a lot of scripture there this morning, and, and in fact, one of the things that uh, I really um, just really sort of sticks out being here with you is that um, you almost don't need to you know, make like this really cool, um, there's this really cool kind of serendipity about the Holy Spirit and the work through people here and the people feel, um, I suppose, led, uh, called to say what God's been doing. And um, just like Wayne was saying, you know, like there's many of you here that I think would be very comfortable uh, to give an account of what the Lord's doing in your life. Because, and not just kind of like this thing that happened but this reality of um, you know, what's happening in the day, because of course that's that's what living um, as a follower of Jesus is all about. Um, it's not just the historical stuff that really sort of spoke to us back, maybe when we were first converted or when we first encountered the Lord, but it's you know what's happening, you know, those ups and downs, those highs and lows, those, those moments where we realise that without God um, we don't have a way forward and that in of ourselves we don't have any strength. One of the verses um, that sort of spoke to me in the process and going through this morning's message is, um, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's a familiar verse to many of you, I'm sure. But the thing that follows that up for me is, um, uh, but boy, oh boy, I can do a lot of things without Jesus. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we live in a society, in a culture, we live in a world where we can get a lot done regardless of who we believe in, what we believe. Even as people who feel like we're followers of Jesus, even with a disconnect that we may or may not be aware of. Now, in the eternal sense, in the spiritual realm, in the spaces that we can't see or we can't necessarily get a glimpse of right now, we would be able to know, we would know that we are ineffective. But in the culture that we find ourselves in, because Often it's words, often it's charisma, uh, you know, charisma. Often it's kind of that 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 facade, maybe, or that present presentation that the, the speaker or the leader has. But sometimes that's enough. You know, I could motivate you to do something that's important. I could tell you right now about a cause or a need that has value and, and importance for us as a culture and society. But I could do all of that without telling you about Jesus, without bring the Lord into it, and without talking about the urgency or the importance of the knowledge of God in that as a motivation, or the glorification of God as a process or a byproduct of doing whatever it is that we do, that's the world we're in. That's possible to do. Probably for the last six or seven weeks, I don't know if anyone's seen the program Designated Survivor watch that program, it's on Netflix. Basically it's about a fella who um, 
Uh, in US politics, when Congress meets, they take one person aside and put them in a safe room um, who is destined to be the designated survivor if some catastrophic event happens. And in the movie, in the series, one does happen and all of Congress is wiped out and all of a sudden this one person becomes the President of the United States. Now, in the course of that story, we have something that we've encountered a number of times in our own political journey, and certainly we've seen it just recently in the US, this idea of the 100 days, this idea of the, hundred, the first 100 days of somebody being in office, um, what they've done, what they're going to do, what they said they were going to do, and how effective they've been in doing it. And as I've looked at the way, or as I had looked at the way, for instance, Donald Trump had been represented in the media, and at the end of the day, he's not represented any to just about any politician that's kind of under that kind of scrutiny. I was thinking about two things at least. One, the culture that we have that is really good at tearing people down. The culture, you know, that tall poppy thing that we recognise as Australians, but that sort of, you know, whatever it is that desire in us to kind of level people so we don't feel too, um, I suppose, uh, you know, deficient in ourselves or no one makes us feel that way because they're too far above us. Whatever it is, this notion that you kind of bring someone down or you pull someone down in the guise of accountability, but really it's kind of maybe, I think, just trying to make people feel better about their own mediocrity, maybe. But Donald Trump was being held accountable for his 100 days. And I started thinking about it for myself. I started thinking about what would it mean if someone looked at me for the last 100 days? What I'd been doing, what I said I was going to, how effective I'd been. And I spoke about this at Master at school with the teachers. Um, I spoke about this at chapel um, a couple of Wednesdays back. And I've spoken about this at the cathedral as well, the notion that our lives matter all the time. What we're doing matters all the time. Who we recognise as the author and owner of our lives matters all the time. And whether we start from 100 days from today or we go back 100 days, what we did what we've been doing or what we will do matters in terms of God's presence in our lives, God's sacrifice through uh, you know, God's sacrifice in Jesus for us, God's desire to restore us, and God's authority, I suppose, over us. At the end of the day, I don't know who else to say it, but the Lord's ownership of us, you know, we belong to God. We belong to God. So the things that we do, the things that we say, the way that we use everything that we have ought to really be like at Jesus' feet. Now I know that most of you get this and know this, but I think it's something that I suppose because as I said before, we live in a culture where you can kind of do a lot of stuff and it can like have the shape and the feel and the vibe of being Christian. But as I remember hearing a preacher say once about a Chinese pastor who visited the US and gone home again on his way leaving the airport, he said, it's amazing how much you Americans can do without the Holy Spirit, without God. You know, and you know, he was talking about American time, but you know, I think it really applies potentially to all of us. So we've got two readings, one to read long one. That one's a bit shorter. You can spend weeks on both of them. Obviously, we're not going to do that. But I'm going to encourage you to make sure that you take them with you today and read them. John's treaty about our relationship, um, as Jesus describes it, with God in the context.
context of that horticultural idea of growing and nurture and nutrients and being attached is so important for us to understand. So important for us to understand. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Awesome. But I can do a lot of things without Jesus. That is something that is a trap that our culture allows us to believe that we perpetuate even possibly in our own lives. And yet, in reality, there is nothing we can do outside of Jesus in terms of what Jesus wants us to do. And the person that Jesus wants us to be. I am the vine, and the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that we give even more fruit. I'm sure that many times you've heard this message in the context of, I suppose, God's discipline and, 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 uh, and you know, walking with you and wanting to shape you. I think that's really important. But again, this very first verse here, I'm the vine, I'm the true vine. The thing that sort of jumped out to me when I read that is again this notion that you can still be attached to other things and get nutrients, if you like, in the natural. In fact, you can be alive, but you may not have life. Or that you can present as living, but you may not necessarily be alive in a way that you know, if I did a survey this morning and asked everyone who feels that vibrant joy of God's presence, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up or say anything. But my point is, is here's the crazy thing. Every single one of us has that right there at our enrich, whatever the right word would be to describe how close it is. Is right there. God wants us to have right now joy and the overwhelming joy and, and um, I know, just awesomeness of His presence. We've sung all these songs this morning about God's love and grace and, and being courageous and strong. And none of these things that we've been challenged to do in this music has anything to do with this. Now, you might all wish that you were six foot four and a bit like a tank or higher. But we can't all be. We can't all be. So then, unlike me, most of you can't rest in the flesh. You know what I mean? In actual fact, I can't either. You know, what does Paul say? That, you know, the flesh is of no value. No value. And yet, we kind of worship it a bit. And we honour it quite a bit. I preached a sermon about ten years ago. I called it a world of life support. And I told a story about a operating theatre. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but essentially the idea of that message was that we live in a world that continually offers us opportunities or sources of life that keep us alive in our present reality, in the space that we might find ourselves in, in the hurt or the disappointment or the fear or the anxiety or the worry, or just the kind of status quo that we find ourselves in, we have so many sources of things that will allow us to stay alive in those spaces. And yet God says, I am the true vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and God is the gardener. Remain in me. Remain in me. 
the second reading with Ezekiel, Ezekiel cracks me up a little bit. When I was at Bible college, the exegesis uh, um, uh, book that we did was Ezekiel. I guess I fell in love with Ezekiel because of that. Because um, I felt like I really got to know who Ezekiel was and what it was all about. But um, there's a really classic line in certainly the NIV translation, this one, where uh, God says to Ezekiel, you know, can, can these bones come to life again? As he says, exactly, he says, um, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. So he doesn't say, Oh, yeah, no worries at all. He doesn't say, Yeah, I'm pretty sure they can. And he sort of chucks it back to God and says, Only you know, God, which I think was a really clever answer. But we know that Ezekiel has trust in the journey that God's got him on and has led him there. And Ezekiel absolutely knows that God's about to do something. Let me tell you a couple of stories. When I, was about, when I was a young man, when I was about 20, and the journey of faith was just sort of beginning in me, and I had a couple of people who'd been working with me for a long time, and I was a rat bag at this point. I was not in a good place. I was, you know, for want of a term, or for a better term, behaving really badly and not into good things. I was still a mechanic. I was still working at the garage. But I remember that I was starting to believe that this story of Jesus would be real, that God could well and truly be there, and that what I was being told by these work, these youth workers who were, you know, desperately desiring for me to know Jesus, I was believing it was true, and I can tell you, there was this one night where we'd had, we finished work, it was a Friday night, if you can imagine, at the garage on a Friday night, pretty much at the end of the day, at the end of the day, everyone sort of goes downstairs, and we used to go downstairs to the panel with a shop, and, and everyone would have a few drinks, and one thing would lead to another, and I can remember that I was out the back with this man who was absolutely against any concept of God and Jesus and faith. And he was a hard-talking man. I spoke pretty hard on this back then, no question. But I wanted him to understand that I was on this journey of faith. Now, this man, apart from being bitter for a lot of other reasons, was particularly unhappy with God because he'd lost three of his fingers in an industrial accident. And his nickname was Claude. Now, I knew he didn't like that, so I didn't call him. But I'm out the back with this guy one night, and I'm sure I didn't have, you know, I, I didn't, I'm sure that um, I was not in a good place to be representing God, if you know what I mean. And I know he was kind of even further away. But, crazy, I wanted to. Yeah, you've got to understand, people are on journeys, and God gives us far more grace than we give ourselves sometimes, or we give other people. So, I really wanted God to be known in space. And this God said, I'll believe in God when I get my fingers back. Now, I said, and I was sitting there, 20 years old, green ass, thinking, I really want this to happen. I really want God to show this man that he is here. So I said, well, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah, And I started praying that God would restore Longo's fingers and him. I had no idea what I was doing. All I was doing was hoping that God was there, believing that God could be there and could do something, and knowing this one thing, and this is the thing that I really want you to take home today, throughout the conversation. 
There is nothing, nothing I could bring to that moment other than the power of God. There is nothing that was going to change Lando's heart, that was going to restore his hand. There is nothing that was going to do anything in that space other than a mighty work of God. A miracle. The same miracle that Ezekiel believed God would do when he brought those dry bones back to life. The same miracles that we often don't see enough of or recognise enough of or, or even kind of like believe maybe that can exist because possibly the connection to the vine that God is calling us to continue to, to press into, to be aware of, to, to desire, is not kind of on our minds. It's not part of our agenda. It's not necessarily on our radar because we almost don't need it. We can live in very commas without it. But of course, that's the great lie. That's the great lie. I'm going to engage things back, by the way. But I learnt an amazing lesson, I feel, without even wanting to or trying to. I realised that night that there is nothing I can do on my own in this tune of living as a follower of Jesus. Nothing. I didn't articulate like that yet. But when I look back at About eight years ago, there was a tragic incident in the community we were living in. A little girl fell in the river. And there was about three days where we were looking for this little girl. And the little girl was a little Aboriginal girl and her family had gathered there on the bank and they'd just been playing like they always had been in the river. The family was there and no one was there. Just one of those things, all of a sudden, this little person that just sort of wanted a little bit away. And, and there was this three day period. Sitting there for a minute, and he's just busted. 
fasting. And then he just says to me, he says, Rich, what's going on? What does this mean? And I had nothing to say in terms of how I can make him feel better about his loss. All I knew to say was it right now, mate, this is a horrible, horrible thing. But I want you to know that God is here right now with you. And He is grieving with you. And I'm here with you. And there are people who are going to be with you and walk with you and love you. But we're going to have to be with you and we're going to have to know that God is not bad. God is good. Because I had no idea what to say to that man, but I knew one thing. When I walked up to the door of that car, I knew that if I ever thought I was clever, if I ever thought I was a communicator, if I thought I was a smart man in any way, none of that was going to matter when I opened the door of that car. None of that was going to matter. Sustained instead by 
are the other things that are in your life that may well answer that question differently or feed that grief or disappointment, anxiety or hatred, whatever it is, because the enemy wants that for us. The enemy desperately wants us to be disconnected from the Lord, no matter what it takes. To be separated from God, no matter what it takes. When you think about fruit on the vine, you think about vine and grapes. Think about how a piece of fruit grows. Have you ever thought about even a grape on the vine? That it's attached to the vine and does it strain and stress and work hard to grow? Does it itself put in effort to expand and to become sweet and to ripen? Does it itself do the hard work of the growing that it needs to do or does it simply depend on the vomit? Does it depend on the source? This morning I just want to encourage us in the face of really horrible things and really mundane things that every single day the enemy wants us to let go of that vine. Every single day. Every single day the enemy wants to bring to us different ways of being sustained. Every day. Every single day the enemy wants us to find good reason to walk away from God and believe that God is not good every day. And if we allow to have any place in our lives, we will find ourselves walking away from a loving God. And it's not easy. It's not easy. I can tell you that only yesterday at home, I was feeling that I once again have no business standing up in front of you telling you anything. Because I was having an argument with Jules and feeling really stupid and foolish about my position and how overwhelmed I was feeling about something so mundane and stupid and meaningless. And as I try to kind of like refocus and regroup, I realise how inadequate I am, how much of a failure I am in the natural, in the old man. But then I'm reminded once again that I can do nothing without Jesus. I can do nothing. I said this to you the last time we were here. I want to say it again. There is no one in this room who is better than anyone else in this room. There is no one in this room who God loves more than anyone else in this room. And you cannot make God love you more. And you cannot make God love you less. We are in a presence, a reality, where a loving creator says, I want you. And if we are not connected to our God through the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's because 
is something else, some other voice, some other narrative, some other story. We are living in that. That has got hold of us in some way, and we are not instead believing and realizing that the love of God wants us and wants to draw us to Himself, even in the face of great hardship. I don't know if I said this to you last time I was here, but I think it relates to this conversation quite a bit. A mate of mine's son, 15 years ago, daughter, 15 years ago, died of a heroin overdose. I remember saying to him, believing that I was being kind of uh, somewhere between pastoral and, and trying to sort of like build a, a sense of, I understand your pain, mate, and I'm, I'm here for you, or whatever it is. And I said to him, I said, oh. I said, I hope I never have to go some, through something like that, mate. And I was trying to communicate to him that I had some glimpse of the pain and the struggle. And he said back to me, he said back to me, he said, good luck with that. He said, good luck with that. And I feel like he was back on the past with that. Because what he's saying is that we have all tragic things, horrible things, bad things happen. We will encounter them. We will experience them. They are out there. And the enemy will use them as a way of tearing us away from God. But this is the challenge. Remain in me, Jesus says. Remain it is not I don't understand the pain. It is not I don't care about what you're going through. It is not I don't hold you in this moment or carry you in this moment or love you in this moment. God brings all of these things at the same time. And God, even in my case, is patient enough to wait until I feel that I'm ready to kind of move into that place that he says is already waiting for me. God is patient with us. God is gracious to us. God does wait for us. But God wants us to know. He doesn't cause it. He doesn't wish it. And he doesn't want pain to separate us from him. He wants us to be able to in all things be aware that He is there, that He is love, and that we can remain connected to Him and draw from Him. I know for some people these words can't just oh yeah, that's good. But for some people these words are like spaces. I know how empty I am without God. I know that I can't hold on. God has to hold on to me. I know that I have no strength in the flesh. And I know that I am not saved by anything I do. I have a righteousness that comes from Jesus, not from me. A hope that is given to me from Jesus, not because of anything I do. I have a source 
that is the vine, that is Jesus, that asks us to remain so that we can bear fruit. Not fruit that takes effort, but fruit that is a natural occurrence because we're attached to the vine. We have a God that understands Stay connected. Believe God is good and that He loves you. Understand that even though there are many wells, there is only one source. God is love. And we need to hold on to that. And let that be. Because that is what's going to heal us. thank you for your great love and mercy and I thank you for your patience with me and I thank you for your great love for all of us. Lord, even though so often even in my life I'm led to believe something else, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are love. I thank you that you will do right. I thank you that we do know our journeys and us, even in our times of death.